We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 25th, 2018 edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair, and my co-host is Hassan Rahim, who you can follow at HRR5010. Hassan, what's up? Hey, what's going on, Blair? Just a two-man pod this week, uh, unable to get a guest, but, you know, it's that part of the offseason, nothing's really happening, and I'm glad it's just the two of us talking shop. That's right. We don't have to, uh, you know, muddy up the waters with a third person talking at us. We just get to say whatever we want and control the show and uh, it'll be good. Um, so let's uh, jump right into it. Um, first news item, probably the biggest thing. ESPN's Adam Schefter reports Jameis Winston will be suspended for three games for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Greg Allman of the Tampa Bay Times further noted that Ryan Griffin has a chance to challenge Ryan Fitzpatrick for the starting QB role while Winston serves his suspension. So how does this news affect your outlook for the Bucks' offense to start off the season? And does it change where you're comfortable drafting Winston or how you value his receivers? Not really for me. I'm of the belief that Jameis is fairly cheap enough to where you weren't really drafting him to be your QB one anyway, and at, at least in best ball leagues. Uh, you know, if you're looking at, at Jameez, he's probably your back-end QB two, and 
by then I'm sure you've probably supplemented him with someone like uh, a Matt Stafford or a Kirk Cousins. Also, if the suspension were to hold up, it's over the first three weeks where no teams are on by, so your best ball squads are going to be at full strength. In a head-to-head league, uh, that's slightly different because I'm a big proponent of the uh, late-round quarterback strategy, and that's just, you know, loading up at all the other positions and I'm actually fairly obnoxious in terms of those type of drafts because I will leave the draft without selecting a kicker, a defense, or a quarterback. I'll just hammer the wide receiver, tight end, and running back positions till till it's over, and then I'll just stream those three slots once we hit the season. So in that type of format, I'm not considering Winston at all. As far as uh, the outlook goes for either Ryan Fitzpatrick or Ryan Griffin, I really don't, for a moment, I genuinely thought that Ryan Griffin was the Houston tight end, so that was slightly (laughs) confusing for me. But I think Fitzpatrick's going to win this job. And as far as the outlook for the receiving core goes, I don't really have much over there. I think uh, it's going to, the target distribution will remain kind of what it did under, under Winston with Evan seeing the bulk of the target share. And then you've got either Deshaun Jackson or Chris Godwin fighting for a position behind him. And we're still yet to see how the tight ends O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait will be used. The one X factor that I wanted to ask you about is how do you think Ronald Jones gets uh, pushed into action over here? Like Charles Sims is supposed to be on the roster bubble. So I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of target share you think Ronald Jones will end up stealing from anyone here. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh... You know, I'm a lot higher on Ronald Jones actually as a receiver than I think most people in the in the industry are. I mean, he obviously didn't do much at college. I think he had 19 catches his senior year, but if you look at his production in the context of the USC offense and how often they actually threw the ball to running backs, he's actually pretty impressive. Like he basically had about 75% of their receiving production from the running back position. So, yeah, I think he has more upside in the receiving game than a lot of people think, obviously. You know, it's kind of a crowded, I don't even know what to say. I mean, there's, uh, <laughs> I obviously want Chris Godwin to, you know, take a step forward. Justin Watson was one of my favorite wide receiver prospects coming in. So, you know, and then you've got Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson. And I guess Adam Humphreys is still hanging around. He might do something. So, you know, I kind of would expect in these first three games for them to maybe throw a little bit less than they normally would under Winston, just because, especially if Ryan Griffin, I think, does end up getting the job. I don't think they'll probably throw as much as they would with Winston under center. Yeah, I mean, we had the same conversation last year when Winston got injured and Ryan Fitzpatrick was taking over. And uh, I think at the time, my hope was that Fitzpatrick could probably he would probably be okay, kind of replicate some of what he did in uh, New York with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, but that really didn't seem to be the case. They were kind of, uh, they were pretty anemic offense with Fitzpatrick under center. So, you know, I expect them to maybe lean a little bit more on the running backs, which I think could be good news for Ronald Jones, but yeah, we'll see. One of the things that I think, I'm fairly cognizant of is there is the way the Tampa Bay Buccaneers schedule kind of opens up at least for 2018 over those first three games uh, they go to New Orleans and they host Philadelphia and they host Pittsburgh I and mean, that's you know doesn't matter which way you slice it that's kind of a brutal way to open your season especially against three teams that are honestly considered preseason Super Bowl contenders right now 
as it stands, that's I mean, that's already a fairly rough start to the season. Maybe it's better as a, if you're a Winston owner that he doesn't face his gauntlet. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the same time, it's not exactly a pretty start. I, I I don't know what the expectations here should be in terms of target share. I think a lot of the opportunity remains the same. It's just like you said. I think they might just opt to deflate the football a little bit and run a little bit more, which makes Ronald Jones a fairly enticing snag in best ball leagues right now. Where are you drafting Ronald Jones? Where are you comfortable drafting Ronald Jones with with this news? That's actually kind of interesting. I, I've been trying to get Ronald Jones somewhere in the 7th or 8th, if provided Ooh. he's still there. Yeah, he, it's... I'm fairly... Uh, well, that's like you never get him then. <laughs> yeah, like, I've been... I've been pretty cognizant of that like uh is but it also depends on how my how my squads shape up like if i'm able to get like a solid running back or two solid running backs in the first few rounds then that's sort of where i'm taking him because of the where where i like to get a tight end or where i like to get wide receivers particularly a top six tight end for that safety you know i mean the the position's kind of difficult after the first eight and so i want to make sure that i've got those positions addressed and if I don't have a top running back, if I happen to start wide receiver, wide receiver in one of those rare back-to-back elite wide receiver starts, then you're probably looking at Ronald Jones fairly aggressively, uh, maybe towards the end of the fifth round. Where, you, where have you been taking Jones? Yeah, I mean, I've been happy getting him in the fifth round. That's, you know, I have rarely seen him even go into the sixth round. Uh, that might be because I'm taking him in the fifth round a lot. Uh, but um, you know, I think if if it turns out Charles Sims does get cut, we could see his ADP go up pretty quickly, go into the fourth or even possibly the third round. I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of other uh, people in the backfield to take carries or targets. So um, I think right now, especially considering the Charles Sims rumors, fifth round is probably a good value. If he does move, you know, if his ADP gets earlier, then that gets into the range where I'm much less likely to want to draft a running back so probably end up having less of him yeah right now looking at the uh, road of his best ball app uh, lamar miller has an average draft position of 53 and ronald jones has an average draft position of 57 so that puts them both squarely within that late fifth early sixth round depending on how your draft is shaking out yeah the seventh and eighth is just not happening anymore huh mm-hmm <laughs> All right, so would you prefer Miller or Jones? That's a good question. I think I'd take Miller if only because the workload seems to be more secure and then use on Foreman is fairly negative. But there's a de- definitive case here for Jones, especially if, if, if Sims does end up getting cut. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think I'm buying Jones for the sort of wider range of outcomes, the increased upside. Um, you know, I like I like kind of chasing the unknown with Jones, uh, hoping for a league winner. That's actually kind of interesting, and it might actually work out that way. Hope so. Browns running back coach Freddie Kitchen said the team will ride the hot hand in the backfield this season. This team brought in Carlos Hyde in free agency, drafted Nick Chubb in the early second round, and recently extended Duke Johnson. Who do you expect will open the season as the starting running back? That's a great question. I think it probably is Carlos Hyde's job to lose. I mean, you don't draft running back like Chubb that early in the draft unless you intend to use him. I mean, the truth is I don't expect there to be much fantasy value in this uh, 
in this backfield, at least that's predictable on a week-to-week basis, except for possibly, you know, negative game scripts where we can play Duke Johnson, which hopefully the Browns will be in a lot of those. But, it, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, actually, about how probably every running back in this backfield is overvalued. Uh, so I'm not drafting Carlos Hyde or Nick Chubb at their ADPs, but um, if I'm trying to handicap this, backfield i think i probably currently would give the edge to hide but uh, you know i probably will change my mind tomorrow too yeah and that's actually interesting because i remember there was an article from brian malone uh, a while ago last sometime last year and it was uh, discussing the impact rookies have as the season wears on and mm-hmm. for that very reason i would expect nick chubb to emerge as the lead, you know, two down grinder at the very least, if only because the Browns, sure, they paid a lot of money to Carlos Hyde, but it's, it's kind of reminiscent of Latavius Murray and Dalvin Cook, wherein, you know, once Cook fell to them and eventually took over that backfield for the first few games, Mario was kind of like a luxury. Uh, they paid Hyde. He, they had a ton of gap space to, to burn. I just don't see how they wouldn't give Chubb run. And and I bring that up if only because there's several scenarios wherein Chubb could get some run, Hyde, uh, you know, could get hurt or is inefficient as a runner, and they decide to see what they have in Chubb. The Browns just aren't going to crack 500, so they might as well see what they have in their second-round draft pick. And they drafted him very, very highly. You know, you, you it's almost, uh, you know, you could say it's just a late first-rounder if you want to be more uh, unforgiving towards the Browns' decision with Chubb. And... Alternatively, you know, Chubb could just emerge as the guy in training camp. We haven't had a proper competition here. The one thing that worries me, especially for PPR formats, is Duke Johnson's presence. His ceiling is definitely lowered. But all that means to me is that he's just going to be stealing away work from, you know, receiving work from the other two guys. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not going to target either Hyde or Chubb on first and second down. Of course they will. But the question is, how high are any of these guys going to be? Or will they be fantasy viable without outside touchdown production, which is something Ben Gretsch mentioned on our show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's a great point about the parallels with Delvin Cook. I hadn't really considered that. They actually, Delvin Cook, have pretty similar draft capital and, uh, you know, both really productive college backs. Uh, If anything, Chubb is a better athlete. But, yeah, like you mentioned, I guess the main difference is the Browns extended Duke Johnson this year, whereas the Vikings decided to let McKinnon walk in his contract year. So, they don't, you know, that would seem to signal they don't maybe trust Chubb in all phases of the game the way Vikings did with Cook. Um, yeah, so I think it's hard to see hard to see Chubb getting quite the workload that, that Cook had. But, I mean, uh, you, know, you make a good point that he could come on strong pretty early in the season and kind of, uh, you know, make Carlos Hyde irrelevant. Yeah, and, and even if he doesn't, he's there's a very good likelihood that he comes on strong during the playoffs uh, back to the... Brian Malone article that I mentioned, it's called Contrarian Take, Don't Avoid Fantasy Football Rookies. Brian mentions that many rookie running backs finish in the top 6, top 12, or top 18 in terms of regular seasons or the playoffs, and many more so than vets do, like a pretty significant chunk. So, like like I mentioned, there's a few paths for fantasy relevance for Nick Chubb, and if not, there's a very real chance that they do actually turn a, a significant number of the rushing workload over to him as the as we head off into fantasy playoff time 
for one reason or the other in term, uh, from a real-life f- uh, football perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm definitely on board with that. I've done, you know, a lot of recent work about about trying to get rookie running backs on your team. So, yeah, I mean, Chubb is interesting. I think he's probably overvalued currently, but, you know, if he can if he can hold off these kind of threats from Hyde and maybe even from Duke Johnson, I guess that's possible, then uh, he could he could end up being a pretty good value. Yeah, and do you think uh, one running back is capable of running away with the job? I mean, I guess, you know, if I'm taking what we just said seriously, then maybe Chubb is, but I really don't see Duke Johnson going away, you know. I mean, why extend him if you weren't going to if you weren't going to continue to make him a factor in the passing game? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I just wanted to make sure that we were on the same page here. <laughs> yeah. All right, before we get into No Shit Shit No, I want to take a moment to remind you you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our, NF- our your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our premium NFL content and it supports the pod. Also you can support the pod by subscribing and to and rating the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes. Do that and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to a future episode to hear if you're the winner. Also, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasters, email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com and we'll get that set up. Also, we have a $35 best ball entry, FFPC best ball entry to give away right here on the show. We decided to do this kind of trivia style. We're going to ask a question and, uh, you know, tweet us, tweet at us to give us your answer or email or something. So uh, we tried to come up with something that was related to uh, you know, tight end premium format at the FFPC. Also, some recent work I've been doing on ADP. So I think we got a good one. But uh, here we go. There have been three tight ends in the last five years, so since 2013, to beat ADP-based expectations every year. Uh, so five years in a row. And if you can name all three, then uh, you know, submit your answer to us somehow. Tweet at us, email us, you know, carrier pigeon, whatever you want, and uh, then. We'll uh, randomly select the winner out of the correct answers. Uh, so yeah, this should be good. So yeah, tweet your answer to either me at am I the real Blair or to Hassan at hrr five zero one zero or at Rotoviz Radio or email us at rotovizradio at gmail dot com. Yeah, send in your answer. You have a chance to win a free entry to the FFPC. Um, Hassan, have you done many FFPC best ball leagues? I haven't, but I'm thinking about getting started in a couple of these. It seems like a lot of fun. The 28 roster slots is very appealing. I also have never played in a tight end premium or a best ball league that requires kickers, and it's very exciting to me. And I believe they also have super flex uh, best ball leagues, which are even more exciting. Have you done any? Oh, yeah, I have uh, done quite a few. Uh, yeah, they have a lot of really cool formats. Like you mentioned, super flex best ball is something I don't think anyone else is doing. Uh, obviously the deep rosters is nice because we get to roster, you know, a bunch of these guys we're talking about during the off season and on the show who maybe don't have really uh, established roles yet, but could become relevant later. So it's uh, good to have a way to get those guys on your team and uh, the FFPC lets you do that. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I should reiterate just about this question. I'm, you know, if you've read any of the posts I've been putting up on Rotoviz lately, Basically, what I'm doing is 
turning historical positional finishes into kind of ADP based expectations. So the way the question works or the way I'm thinking about it is each of these tight ends scored more points than you would expect them to based on their ADP. So it's not like rank, uh, you know, who beats their ADP rank, but um, kind of a weird format. But <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get some good answers and uh, some funny ones, even if they're not good. We'll see. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. All right, now let's get into no shit, shit, no. Uh, first item up, I don't even know if I have to really ask you about this, but the Houston Chronicle is reporting that Kiki Kuti is being viewed as an upgrade on Braxton Miller in the slot. Yeah, that's a massive no shit uh, for me. I, I'm really a big uh, Kiki Kuti fan uh, ever since we first wrote about him. Like I was uh, hyping him up on the uh, road of his mailbag as early as the first week of January. I really think that Kiki Kuti has a chance at becoming a viable fantasy producer at some point this year. I don't know how much opportunity there will be behind uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller, who I'm expecting and hoping will play a full 16 and take us as to take a step forward. But QT kind of falls in line with that slot guy. What's really interesting to me is his actual ability as a deep receiver. He was a uh, Patrick Mahomes' preferred deep threat in college. And then once Ken Giles transferred to LSU, he became the focal point of the offense without Pat Mahomes. You know, this guy was a guy who barely played much as a uh, as a rookie, I mean, as, a, as a freshman. But his sophomore and junior seasons, plus his ability in the return game, more than underscored the fact that he's an under an NFL level talent and the guy has a strong phenom index score a uh, you know a not 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 a terrific we freak score if only because that's because he's kind of a slight frame and build but he does have NFL caliber talent and it'll be interesting to see if he's able to pull that put that together what are your thoughts on uh, QT yeah I'm I'm pretty interested to see what QT can do uh yeah I think it's very possible that what we saw from Deshaun Watson last year is kind of maybe his ceiling and he's going to, he's obviously going to regress in terms of touchdown rate. I think it's possible he might not be able to support so much fantasy production from the wide receivers that, like we saw last year. So, you know, I'm obviously giving the big edge to Hopkins and Fuller. Um, so kind of wonder how much is going to be left for Kuti, but uh, he's definitely an intriguing option in that offense nbc washington considers rob kelly on the roster bubble i mean this is not really surprising right rob kelly is kind of the ultimate below replacement level running back in terms of his his uh you know talent his measurables and his uh you know 
sort of the how how we actually think of him as a, a running back in the NFL. Uh, sort of seems to be just, or at least a couple years ago, was just in the right place at the right time. So yeah, this is not a surprise to me. I expect him to be cut. Panthers tight end Ian Thomas got reps with the first team offense at minicamp. Yeah, I mean this is kind of a no shit as well, if only because. There's no way they're bringing Greg Olson in as the veteran presence to take first-team reps uh, you know, at mid-camp before actual camp begins. By the end of July, you don't want to suffer an injury to your actual tight end one. But at the same time, this does make Ian Thomas kind of interesting in dynasty leagues or a deep tight end premium format like the FFPC, best ball, or someone to just really just keep an eye on in terms of a tight end streamer possibility. What do you think? Yeah, I'm definitely interested in Ian Thomas. I kind of have been kind of down on Greg Olson this whole offseason. Um, I'm just not expecting him to bounce back in quite the way that uh, everyone else is. So I think if, if Thomas can impress, then he can definitely make some noise. Jim White of TitansOnline.com said that Marcus Mariota has looked fast this offseason. Yeah, no shit. Uh, Marcus Mariota ran a 4 5 40. Uh, we know he's a He's a plus athlete. Um, he should look fast if he's if he's uh, you know totally healthy. No shit. And that's kind of what it means to me a little bit, right? Like that's what uh, this report is insinuating is that he might be over those those injuries that hampered him last season. And hopefully this is an indication of kind of offense they're planning a running down there. Well, that would I would definitely be all for that unleashing Marcus Mariota. Excited to see what he can really do with a uh, good coach and a good system. Darren Urban of azcardinals.com lists Chad Williams as a projected starter. No shit. Outside of life is Cheryl and Christian Kirk. Who else do they have as their wide receiver three? He's not going to list J.J. Nelson, and they have to defend their pick from last season, right? I have some concerns about Williams, if only because he's uh, an older prospect who didn't see the field, although yesterday, you had, you know, last season you had no John Brown, no Jerron Brown, J.J. Nelson just not doing very much, and he was uh, surpassed by Britton Golden. Hopefully, Williams is ready to take that next step because I own a good chunk of him in Dynasty Leagues. But as far as being a projected starter, no shit. Cowboys reporter Marcus Mosier reports second-year UDFA Blake Jarwin worked as Dallas's number one tight end during OTAs and minicamp. Uh, I guess no shit, but this is kind of... Uh, who really cares? I kind of think the Cowboys are going to end up running some sort of tight endless offense the way we saw the Jets do the last few years. I'm not not really buying Blake Jarwin. I'm not buying Rico Gathers either. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to call that. Who gives a shit? Yeah, and I think I'm with you on that. I think really all it is is if you're looking to target the Cowboys' offense, their vertical offense, you're best served going after Michael Gallup, Alan Hearns, Cole Beasley, Darrence Williams, and there's one other, Deontay Thompson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't think that the uh, Dallas Cowboys' tight end slot is going to be viable this year, especially now that Jason Witten's gone. Terrell Pryor blames his down 2017 on his ankle injury. Yeah, no shit. I mean, you're going to obviously be hampered by injury. That's obviously going to result in a down down season. I just don't know if he's got what it takes to rebound to the highs of 2016, uh, especially now that he's going to be fighting for work alongside Robbie Anderson, Quincy Nunwa, and a few others on the, the Jets' Jets's offense. Broncos' rookie tight end Troy Fumagalli is recovering from a sports hernia, and he's expected to be ready for training camp. Yeah, I guess this is another no-shit, although I'm not exactly buying the hype on Fumagalli. I'm not 
really expecting a rookie breakout uh, for this tight end. I think probably if there's a tight end to target in Denver, it's Jake Butt. Um, so, yeah, another another no shit, but I don't care. <laughs> Steelers coach Mike Tomlin said fifth-round rookie Jalen Samuels is highly evolved in the passing game. No shit. Uh, I mean, he was projected to be a bit of an H-back coming out, right? Like he was supposed to play this tight end running back hybrid. And that's interesting to note. And of course, you expect a guy like that to have really strong passing chops. It's just, I don't know where his fantasy value will come from in a team like the Steelers. You've got Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell who vacuum up just a ton of opportunity. And then you follow that up with Juju Smith-Schuster and the fact that he's deserving of more targets and couple that in with James Washington who is uh, a top deep threat in this uh, NFL draft class I just don't know where Jalen Samuels will find the target opportunity especially if he's going to be dealing with Vance McDonald and Jesse James I, I what where do you think that he gets his targets from I think if you're drafting Samuels you're you're drafting him as a handcuff to Le'Veon Bell uh you know he's another big guy with really good agility kind of exactly what Bell is uh obviously good pass catching skills uh he looks like he could fill that role pretty well if bell got injured uh on the other hand i also think jarvian franklin <laughs> looks like he could fill that role well so it's kind of a little uh muddled espn.com's eric d williams says keenan allen could spend more time playing the slot in three wide formations with tight end hunter hunter henry out for the season uh no shit i think that San Diego, no, not San Diego. I think Los Angeles should probably line Keenan Allen up all over the field, uh, you know, make the make the best use of him they can and get him into the matchups they want. Uh, you know, he's their best receiver by far. So, uh, yeah, do what you have to do to get him in situations to win. So would that mean that Mike Williams and Tyrell Williams kick out wide, or would it be Travis Benjamin and Tyrell Williams, or how do you think this the, the formations will play out? Uh, yeah, I think it would be the, the two Williams. Obviously, we haven't seen a lot from Mike Williams, and we were pretty down on him last season during the, uh, you know, during prospect season. But, you know, he has the draft capital. They should want to get him out on the field and actually see what he can do. So I expect him to at least get the opportunity early on. And if he can't perform, then then it's time, I think, at least as fantasy owners to kind of give up. According to Nick Underhill of the New Orleans Advocate, Michael Thomas said he added some muscle without gaining weight this offseason. I don't know what to do with this report. No shit, 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 no, I don't know, because that that doesn't say anything. He's in, uh, this is, this smells a lot like a best shape of his life uh, type of blurb, but anything that means that Michael Thomas is ready to smash this season, I'm all for it. I own a good chunk of him in redraft and dynasty. And I, and anything that's uh, net positive for him is a hopeful net positive for my dynasty squads and my redraft squads. So whatever. Do you think it's possible he could end the season as the wide receiver one overall? It's a long shot, but yeah, I mean he's one of those five guys that I think has that in his range of outcomes as the wide receiver one. Um, it's a it's a long shot ahead of the guys who I think are ahead of him especially considering that he's going to be seeing threats from not not only Alvin Kamara, but also when Ingram returns and a healthy Cameron Meredith. And if Traquan Smith comes on, that really cuts into that potential for his range of outcomes. But it's it's there. It's not a very likely outcome, but it's there. According to Eric D. Williams of ESPN.com, 
Philip Rivers would support the signing of Antonio Gates. <laughs> uh, no shit. Um, you know, they have no tight end, really, other than Virgil Green, so I think they could definitely use him. Uh, yeah, I guess, of course, Philip Rivers would support the signing of Antonio Gates, one of his favorite targets over the last, I don't know, two decades? No, that can't be right. But um, Sounds yeah. about right, though. Right. Uh, so, yeah, no shit. Yeah, I feel like the Chargers are about to become kind of like Dallas 2.0 as a tight endless offense or really just this streaky tight end offense that you don't really want much exposure to. If you're going to do it, do it with Keenan Allen. Like. ESPN.com's David Newton reports Panthers coach Ron Rivera won't be surprised if Christian McCaffrey reaches 200 carries this season. No shit. I mean, McCaffrey's going as a in the middle of the second round and it's kind of interesting because McCaffrey's biggest calling card right now is the ability of his to catch passes. He was targeted over 100 times last season, and hopefully, as Sean mentioned in our first episode, him and Cam Newton actually start connecting on a few of those. The fact that he's not going to see many carries, or at least the bell card role that we thought he was going to get, is not much of a detriment for me. You know, you've got Cam Newton who's going to seal away carries. You've got C.J. Anderson who's going to seal away carries. I don't know if he's going to see enough to reach 200 carries. That's if that comes out, in my opinion, at the top of his range of outcomes. But realistically, if you play in PPR leagues, you own Christian McCaffrey. You really want him for those catches and those PPR points. You really want him for that shallow A dot and those ability to create yak. What do you think? I think 200 carries is definitely within his range of outcomes, probably at the ceiling. But, you know, one thing I remember Sean pointing out is uh, one of the most comparable players to McCaffrey coming out was Ray Rice. And he had kind of the same career arc where his first season he didn't carry the ball much. He was used as a pass catcher. And then his second season, he really came on and became a, a true bell cow. Justin Rogers of the Detroit News says Matthew Stafford displayed chemistry with second year wideout Kenny Galladay during June minicamp. No shit, I think Kenny Galladay's probably going to break out, and now is the time you need to sell Marvin Jones. Yeah, we had that really fantastic piece from Court about why he's selling Kenny Galladay, which I think is a good contrarian look at what you should be doing with Kenny Galladay from a dynasty perspective. But in redraft, or if you're a Kenny Galladay fan or owner, this season's very, very exciting, and I agree with you. I think Marvin Jones is the guy who's likely going to have the biggest uh, impact. And for more information, we've we had Ben Gretsch on a, a couple of episodes ago. He's got a really good breakdown there. The Bengals' official website reports that offensive coordinator Bill Lazor is excited to use Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon in the backfield. Ah, no shit. I mean, Joe, like, Giovanni Bernard gets no respect around these parts. Well, not our parts, but just the broader fantasy community. I... I can see them wanting to give Joe Mixon just a ton of volume just to see what they've got in their, in their second-round pick. But realistically, the thing about Giovanni Bernard is when he was brought in to replace Joe Mixon, he smashed. He, you know, from a fantasy perspective, he just absolutely crushed it. In, the, in, in real life, he, you gave him volume, he smashed. You're looking at a guy who might have actually forced a timeshare, and, he, and he's not being valued as such. He's being drafted fairly late in MFL 10s. He's available fairly cheap in Dynasty Trades because of the Mark Walton draft. And he's a very, very solid player and the kind of guy who you want in your team. He's a satellite back that, when given volume, can actually put up bell count numbers. I don't know if he'll ever, he's ever going to be that, but he does have that floor plus a ceiling combination that people talk about Duke Johnson. And he's just valued much cheaper. What are your thoughts on, on Gio? I think it is probably 
a negative signal for sure that they drafted Mark Walton. It seems like they are expecting to, you know, go into 2019 at least without Geo on the roster. So it's possible that Walton could take some of his work as early as this season. I don't think that would be, I don't think we should be too surprised if that happens. You know, at Bernard's current ADP, he's not that, you know, he's easy enough to get on your roster. And if he doesn't work out, you know, fine. Who cares? He's not expensive at all. So I'm still drafting him in a few places, but I think there are some pretty significant red flags. Denver Broncos is running back. Royce Freeman has a chance to do Kareem Hunt type things, according to Bucky Brooks of NFL.com. Yeah, I guess I want to say no shit for this just because I I really like Royce Freeman and I own a lot of him in Dynasty and Best Ball. Uh, I would love to see him do Kareem Hunt type things. I think the Broncos backfield is a lot more crowded than uh, the Chiefs backfield was last year and more than, you know, people really are remembering. I mean, obviously, Devontae Booker is still there and the coaching staff has been talking him up to um D'Angelo Henderson is an interesting name, uh, you know, FCS running back that kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> that Rotovis people tend to like. Uh, they also got Philip Lindsay as an undrafted free agent this season, and probably he'll do nothing, but he's someone who he, you know, comes out uh, number one overall in the workhorse metrics and in the backfield dominator rating. So he's someone who I'm really excited to see some, uh, see him get some opportunity in the NFL. So. You know, all of those forces are kind of working against Freeman, uh, even though I want him to do Kareem Hunt type things. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's fairly exciting time for Royce Freeman as a Royce Freeman owner. But yeah, you mentioned there's a very steep downside here. I think a less sexy way to rephrase this would be Royce Freeman has a chance to do 50% Kareem Hunt type things because (laughs) people forget how fantastic Hunt was. Um, those first few weeks and then just how strong he was coming down the stretch. I, the guy was a weak winner. Yeah, I mean, and that sounds like a really boring way to put it, but you plugged him in There was, and he, he hit on that week. There was sure a chance that you were losing that week. And if you played in a best ball league or a total point scoring type setting, he really either extended your lead or closed whatever gap there was. So, if, even if he's like 50% as effective as that, given, the, as you mentioned, all the negative, uh, just the kind of competition he's facing, I, I think we're, we're we're looking at a pretty solid rookie pick here. Detroit Lions running back Carrion Johnson spent time returning kickoffs during spring practices. This is actually interesting because when you think of Carrion Johnson, you're thinking of just a big-bodied back, no, no real ability to play special teams. You're thinking of a bruiser, you know, almost like a the Garrett Blunt 2.0, but the fact that he's actually returning kicks during spring practices means that maybe the Lions are looking to deploy him a little bit on special teams. Maybe it hints a little bit to what they see him and how they see his skill set and maybe a slightly different to that of a two-down grinder, and he might be seeing more opportunities soon than we thought. What are your thoughts here? Uh, you know, he had some college experience returning kicks in his freshman and sophomore year. Um... So it's something he's done before. I think he probably, kind of like Jones, has a little bit wider skill set than people give him credit for. I mean, I know he didn't catch a ton of passes in college, 24 his senior year. So, um, But I think he's really a more complete back than a lot of people are expecting. Uh, you know, I've been drafting him in 
what about the eighth round maybe of best ball drafts, even sometimes in the seventh, which probably sounds a little bit early, but uh, I'm pretty happy getting him there. I kind of half expect LeGarrette Blunt to be a non-factor. And, uh, you know, even last year we saw the Lions trying to work Amir Abdullah into the passing game more. So I kind of would expect them to do the same with Johnson. You know, he's the one back on their on their offense that doesn't really doesn't really uh, project what they're going to do. He doesn't tip their hand, as it were. That's interesting. Um, I actually thought that Blunt might be the guy that keeps him away from getting those initial first and second down carries, if only because Blunt's not spectacular, but he gets the job done. It's really weird when you look at his final season stats that, oh, wow, like Blunt rolled up 700-plus yards on XYZ number of carries, and you just don't remember any of them. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm definitely drafting Johnson for the upside. Yeah, I'm with you on, on that one. According to Mike A of FirstNews.com, Jacksonville Jaguars tight end Austin Safarian Jenkins was constantly open during non-contact practices and made impressive catch after impressive catch. So I think this is maybe the first one in this whole list that I feel is a really confident shit no. Uh, you know, Jenkins, Safarian Jenkins was decent last season with the Jets, but uh, it's really hard to see him making an impact with the Jaguars. They're not a team that has used the tight end a lot. In, uh, you know, the recent history, Bortles obviously has accuracy problems, to say the least. Uh, and plus, there are already a lot of wide receivers who are competing for targets between, you know, Keelan Cole and Marquise Lee and D.D. Uh, D. Westbrook. And then they drafted D.J. Chark. A lot of people competing for targets. I don't think Safarian Jenkins is going to make a major dent. Well, and you also forgot to mention Dante Moncrief, who they signed for $9 million, I believe. Oh, geez. Yeah, I don't think he's going to make a dent either. <laughs> yeah, but I think the funniest part about this entire report is how he was constantly open during non-contact. <laughs> like, does that imply that he won't be open during contact? I don't I don't know. Yeah, isn't everyone open during non-contact? Yeah, I don't know. You theoretically should be, but hey, you never know. Let me tell you about our friends of the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The fantasy draft season is heating up, and the FFPC has a format to suit interest and budget. Whether you like best ball or superflex or classic managed leagues, there are drafts daily, with entry fees starting at just $35. Jump into a slow or live draft today. And if you like Dynasty, the FFPC has almost 200 active Dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single Dynasty League has folded in eight years. New Dynasty Leagues are forming right now with startup drafts launching on a regular basis. Don't forget the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. All right, news item number three. Robbie Anderson pleaded no contest to a reckless driving charge. Uh, he was sentenced to six months of non-reporting probation. All other charges were dropped. So this is sort of the end of his legal issues, but he still may be facing discipline from the league. So given this sort of uncertain situation, along with the return of Quincy Inunua this year, uh, who do you expect to be the Jets' top target in 2018? I still think it might be Robbie Anderson here, if only because he has that vertical playmaking threat that other players don't don't bring. Quincy Inunua is actually really interesting because everyone seems to have forgotten about him. His air yards profile shows that he's fairly decent, or at least above average at all depths across the field. And his ADOT's fairly shallow, so maybe he's a strong complementary receiver here to Anderson. He could genuinely emerge, depending on the kind of quarterback uh, Sam Darnold is or who Sam Darnold opts to latch on to. I'm expecting it would be Darnold to either break camp as a starter or will eventually will take over. 
What are your thoughts on Jermaine Curse here, though? He seems to be flying well under the radar, although he did <laughs> came on very strong at the end of last year. What are your thoughts here on uh, Jermaine Curse? Yeah, I don't really have much interest in Curse. I think, you know, part of what helped him kind of be somewhat relevant last year was the fact that Anunma wasn't playing. I think with Anunma back, Curse probably there won't be that many targets to go to Curse. Um, you know, on the other hand, there aren't a lot of other quality targets in this offense. Um, I mean, Elijah Maguire is interesting. He's someone that the coaching staff, at least, has been saying um, has been impressed with and uh, could be used as the third down back. I'm definitely interested in getting him at the end of <clears throat> at the end of drafts. Um, you know, Curse probably is someone I should look at a little more closely, but I think. You know, just with how cheap Quincy Anunua is, he's someone I'm much more likely to take a shot on. Uh, I think, like you said, the the depth of target with Anunua, especially compared to Anderson, is really interesting. Like, it's possible the Jets could end up using Anunua almost as kind of a tight end wide receiver combo and give him a lot of short underneath targets. Uh, it's possible, like, Anunua could actually lead the team in targets while Robbie Anderson leads the team in receiving yards or fantasy points or something. So. Could be an interesting dynamic. Cowboys reporter Marcus Mosier reports Alan Hearns was the team's clear-cut number one receiver through spring practices. Between Jason Witten's retirement and Des Bryant's release, the Cowboys are one of the teams with the most vacated opportunity as we head into 2018. Is Hearns the most likely candidate to be Dak Prescott's top target, and are you comfortable taking him at his current ADP? I am comfortable with his current ADP uh, just because of how low it is. Like You don't have to spend a lot to get Hearns, I think he probably has the best shot to be the number one receiver in Dallas. You know, Gallup obviously is a is a name that people are seeming to be sort of uh, interested in. Uh, I think he's going maybe a few rounds later than Hearns currently. Um, I don't really see him, you know, leapfrogging Hearns maybe maybe later in the season, but certainly not to open the season. But you know, it's possible. You mentioned a lot of the names on the of the Dallas receivers earlier during one of the no shit questions, but the name you left off, which I'm the person I'm probably most interested in just because he's basically free, is Cedric Wilson. Um, I think he probably has a better chance than people realize to uh, sort of make some noise in his rookie season. I probably, you know, at their relative cost, I probably prefer him over Michael Gallup. I actually, uh, looking at the road of his uh, best ball app here, You've got Alan Hearns, who's you know currently being drafted about 131st overall, with uh, Michael Gallup coming in at 177th. Cole Beasley is absolutely free. His ADP is you know 232, so you know you can get him in the as your final wide receiver. The disparity between the Alan Hearns cost and the Michael Gallup cost is kind of interesting to me, and it might actually make Michael Gallup that interested that interesting pivot like a an arbitrage Alan Hearns almost. I still would rather have Hearns if only because he's got a history of documented production and he's, you know, he's done fairly well. He did fairly well his first two seasons is, uh, you know, it's just interesting to think of Alan Hearns as your primary receiver and how he re-rose to relevance now that he's changed uh, teams. Do you think this, he's a candidate for a fifth year breakout? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he had a thousand yard season before uh, with Jacksonville, so he kind of broke out once before um but yeah we've definitely seen with guys who kind of can't really break through uh for the team that drafted them that 
what they often need is just to change teams and move into a situation where there's a lot more available opportunity and uh, that kind of really helps them to have a true breakout. So, uh, yeah, I could definitely see that happening for Hearns. I mean, there's nobody who's going to be a real threat to his opportunity. Um, the Cowboys offense could be really very bad, but I mean, say the same thing about Jacksonville the last few years and it didn't really stop him from being relevant when he was given the opportunity. So yeah, I have, I have pretty high hopes for, for Hearns. I mean, you know, relatively, you know, as long as you can get him in the 12th round or whatever, I'm fine with that. How early would you be comfortable taking him? Yeah, I think uh, 11, 12 sounds about right to me as well. I'd probably go as early as the 10th, but in that, if I really need a wide receiver, if that's how my draft seems to have sh- shook out. But I- I'm with you in terms of that 12th round uh, ADP. I think that's where I'd be taking him. If I had to take him any earlier than the double digits, I'd probably try and snag Michael Gallup instead. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if he moves into the 10th or 9th or even 8th, then you're almost looking at, you're kind of comparing him with guys like Robbie Anderson, who we just talked about, or Marquise Goodwin, maybe Garcon is still there, uh, maybe Chris Hogan. So um, it's hard to really argue for preferring Hearns over, over those guys. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His Radio channel on iTunes. Uh, remember to get your answer in for that trivia contest. Win yourself an entry into a $35 FFPC Best Ball League. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Road of His Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at roadofhisradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Road of His at a 30% discount through the Road of His podcast homepage, roadofhis.com slash podcast. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub salad or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community.